Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. The theme of the series that we're in right now is captured in Proverbs 4, and it says this, Wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding. So what it's saying is wisdom is the top of the line. It's the top of the list. Nothing's more important. Go get it. Spend everything you have to get it. So each week we're taking a small piece of wisdom from the book of Proverbs to help our lives be more full or prosperous, as Proverbs regularly says, and prosperous in every way of that idea is what Proverbs talks about. Proverbs has so much to say about our lives, especially in regard to relationships. So we're going to continue today to build on what we started last week, how central friendships are to the core of what it means to really be a follower of Jesus and be the church if we want to do relationships well. So Proverbs today is going to help us talk about a topic that I think can be life-altering for us for our community, for our church, for our parenting, for anything we're involved in. It's this topic called honor, honor. Growing in how we honor is a key ingredient in growing healthy relationships. It can change your life. It can change your marriage. It can change your work relationships, and it can change your parenting. Some of you might say, really? Is it really that important? Is it really that big of a deal? Yeah, It's that big of a deal in Scripture and in life, and it's especially a big deal in light of the fact that our culture today is uh, the state of honor is is just despicable. Our culture is fracturing due to an absence of honor. There is a brazen boldness to dishonor anyone who thinks differently than you do, anyone who is not of your political or social view. So let's talk today about what exactly does the Bible say when it means honor. The Bible tells us that to honor means we place value on something. The Old Testament word is this word that means weight or glory. The New Testament word is, is a word that means prize or value or revere. It's, it's the, in its figurative usage, it means we put weight on something or someone. And so dishonor, conversely, means to, to take something lightly to not put value on it that it deserves. It, it means not giving appropriate attention to someone or something. So, like, we honor a lot of things throughout life. We honored mothers and fathers in the last month. On Mother's Day, we looked at Proverbs 31, which is an entire chapter dedicated to demonstrating what honoring strong women looks like. Proverbs 10 says this. It says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Uh, Proverbs talks a lot about fool and foolishness, and, and the fool has a relationships that continually highlights that, that they despise. In the original language, this means they show contempt, they show disdain, they show mockery, they consider it worthless and unworthy, that relationship or that person. A fool does not see the worth of someone. So what does honor look like? Well, we live our lives to honor and revere God, of course. I mean, the, 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 the core verse is fear or reverence or awe or honor of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yet what's really interesting throughout Proverbs is, is that God also created us for honor. Uh, dozens of verses in Proverbs, which we don't have time to look at, make this point. 
God sees in every person their complete depravity, their, all their failures, and yet at the same time sees the perfect dignity of them. He can see all the mistakes we make and all the potential of who you can become all in one glimpse. So let's think about it this way. Our, our goal with our kids was for, the, for them to grow up and love God and love each other and love the church. Now, I've let them down many times. They've let me down at times. But when that happens, I'm really trying to more and more live this concept of honor. See, when I first was started parenting, and I can still all too easily flip into this at a moment's notice, when they messed up, I could rehearse all the things they'd done wrong. And I would ask them, what were you thinking? And that's a rhetorical question because the answer is you weren't thinking, right? But no one needs a rehearsal of what they've done wrong. No one needs messages like that. No one needs to hear, I'm done with you, you're acting like an idiot. What our kids, when our kids mess up, it's actually our opportunity to honor them, the opportunity to get it right, to help them hear God and see who they can be, not who they are not. See, when they mess up bad, we help them to see this is not who you are. You did this, but it's not who you are. And actually, the Christian doctrine, uh, it's called the doctrine of glorification, helps us see this more clearly. Romans 8 talks about it in this way. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, or in a sense that's meaning made them perfect into everything they were intended to be. So let's break this down a little bit. Predestined does not mean that God only chooses a few. God has chosen everyone, but it is up to us to choose his choosing of us. He has planned for each one to know him, know his love, and know the goodness of the living God's ways and living in his ways. The doctrine of glorification is this. All who make the choice to follow God and receive his gift of forgiveness and love and right standing will stand before God one day. He will make them perfect. Everything they were ever intended to be. Remove all flaws and sin. The powerful point of this is, if you are a follower of Jesus, God chooses to see you that way now because you stand perfectly forgiven through the blood of Jesus. He sees the sin and the mistakes we make, but those things don't define who he knows you are. He already sees you as perfect. So if God sees you that way, His invitation is for you to see yourself that way and focus on that picture of you and others as well. Therefore, honoring actually begins with seeing people the way God sees them. There's a pastor, Bill Johnson, an author, says it this way. He says, honor is where you recognize who a person is and not stumble over what they're not. We don't cover up sin. We, we address it. We, 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 we deal with it in a proper time, in a proper way, but we call out of others their potential instead of calling them on the carpet. See, sin explains your activity, but it doesn't explain your identity, who you are. We see others as God sees them, made in the image of God, uniquely gifted and called and even beyond that, further honoring, honoring is important not just 
for the one receiving honor. Honoring others may very well have more effect on the person giving the honor than it does on the other person. If you don't honor someone, it, it, it makes it really difficult for you to receive something from them. Now, we're going to get more to that in just a second, but, but let's go here right now. So who do you honor? Well, clearly God, above all else, we honor the Lord of Lords. Psalm 22 says, praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. We honor God for who he is and all he's done. I honor him because he's changed me, because he forgave me of my sins, of more sins than I can even ever imagine or even know of. I honor him for filling me with his Holy Spirit and him doing things that I could not do on my own in my life. We also honor, biblically, parents and spouses and grandparents and the elderly. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. He's actually quoting one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. Peter says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her as you, as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And Leviticus says, show respect for the elder, elderly and revere your God. We also honor those in authority. So understand what I'm about to read. Peter wrote in an era when religious and government leaders were fomenting extreme persecution and corruption far, far beyond anything we see in America today. And yet he still wrote, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, meaning sent by God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. To honor our political leaders does not mean that we agree with everything they say or do. It does not mean we cannot speak truth or righteousness out and talk about things that we believe are wrong. It, It does not mean that we cannot work within legal means to oppose and change policies that we believe are wrong. And it doesn't mean that we must obey every law, even if it requires us to obey, disobey God. But Peter is saying we are to obey and submit to all of the laws that do not cause us to sin, even if we don't agree with them. And he's speaking even more directly to the tone of how we disagree and how we conduct ourselves. It must be honoring, respectful, and gracious. Now, Scripture is chock full of examples about this. In spite of being put in prison for crimes he didn't commit, Joseph still treated Pharaoh and the Egyptian guards, even when he was in prison, with honor. And we know the story. If you've read that, he's blessed because of that. David blessed and prayed for King Saul, even though Saul wanted to kill him. He had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he passed on it. And he wouldn't even speak negatively of Saul in life or even after he died. He would not allow himself to speak negatively of him. Why? Because God, for reasons only God knows, wanted Saul to be king for a time. And out of respect for God, David gave respect to Saul. 
There are also great models for us. These are great models for us to consider when we're thinking about political discussions. And as we think about how to relate to authorities we don't agree with. I hear people talk all the time about living with pressures at work and and how they're working under such ungodly people. And I don't deny the stress. I, I don't diminish how oppressive and difficult that can be. But I also remember Daniel the prophet to Nebuchadnezzar who was trained and was forced to daily work with all kinds of spiritual witches and warlocks who were to Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. It's, it's clear from the text that King Nebuchadnezzar valued that kind of thing and may have been one of the most demonized individuals and demon-focused individuals in all of history. It was an oppressive work environment spiritually, relationally, politically. And in Daniel 4, we see how Daniel served and loved Nebuchadnezzar in this toxic environment. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, you may remember, and and he sought out Daniel to interpret it because among all of his spiritualists, which is what he viewed Daniel as, Daniel stood out for his wisdom. He had a reputation and a history with Nebuchadnezzar. This king had a dream, and he wanted to understand what it meant. And Daniel heard the dream and he understood the meaning as this alarming, disturbing, judgmental word against Nebuchadnezzar. And what was Daniel's response? To a king who required that everyone worship him and a king who led a nation filled with demonic ritual? Daniel said to him, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. See, I think most of us, if we worked for such an ungodly man and heard how God was going to bring judgment and discipline, would have said, I've been telling you all the time, you're wrong, you're reaping what you sow, I told you so. And yet Daniel stood more as a friend, wishing it could be different, loving him in that way, honestly. The dream foretold the judgment of King Nebuchadnezzar. He lost his mind for seven years and acted like a wild animal eating grass. And there's actually some historical evidence outside the Bible to support this. I was just reading yesterday, really fascinating stuff. After which he stood and he gave honor and praise to God. We are called to stand like Daniel. God calls us to be godly people serving ungodly people. If we all took this approach, how would our culture change? See, we we can do this culture of honor. Just look at Jesus and his disciples. Jesus brought Simon, an anti-government zealot, a rebel, anti-government, and Matthew, a government sellout employee, into his inner circle. Talk about a powder keg of personalities and differing opinions. And yet of all the four gospel writers, Matthew is the one to point out that being loyal to Jesus transcends all other loyalties, including political ones. Even Simon and Matthew, two people on polar opposite political extremes, can live and love each other in community. Why? Because instead of creating walls, Jesus' intent is to break down dividing walls. And he prays that his followers from the political left and right will live as one. And this is how we show the world that we are truly followers of Jesus, having this kind of love for one another. Finally, the Bible says we are to honor everyone. Uh, Peter says it 
specifically honor everyone. Paul says it, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. The number one priority in developing a culture of honor is, I think, to know God the Father and show the Father's love to other people. This was Jesus' number one mission. He told his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Honor is all about seeing others as our Father in heaven sees them, seeing what's valuable and wonderful and miraculous in people, appreciating, being in awe, loving, acknowledging, and otherwise responding to them in a way that they deserve based upon God's view and original creation of them. How are those that we are in relationship with personally and professionally seeing that kind of Father's love through us towards them? Do we have difficulty honoring people because we see our differences as threats? Do we, do we see their strengths the, the, as making us less than? Or how can we make room for other people's strengths and differences and celebrate them? In the business world, how, how does reflecting this Father's heart of love and this, this view of people change how we approach uh, productivity and performance reviews and hiring and firing? How does it change the way you invest your profits? See, honor brings power to your life and to the lives of other people. In fact, one of the lessons we learn particularly from the Bible and the story of Jesus' life is where there is no honor, there is no power. Uh, Jesus, God himself, actually was actually limited in what he was able to do when he visited his hometown, Nazareth. The people who should have honored him the most honored him the least. See, Jesus visited uh, Nazareth at least two times after his ministry started that we know of. And the first was recorded in Luke 4. And Jesus goes to the synagogue. He's actually interestingly recognized as a rabbi. They already recognize him as a well-respected religious leader when he walks in. He reads the Old Testament and he reads a prophecy about the coming Messiah. He rolls the scroll up, sets it down and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then interestingly, Luke records the eyewitness remarks on how the crowd responded to him. And it says, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, these words bore witness in, are actually just, it's the idea of they're attesting to something really really real happening in that moment, something powerful that they are all witnessing, that they understand to be true and tangible in that moment. And you got to understand the Jewish mindset here. For 400 years, they had not had a prophet, some that the, someone that they recognized as a prophet where no one and no one had really heard the voice of God through a prophet for that time. No dreams and visions. This is a spiritual drought, if there ever was one. And Jesus speaks... And for the first time in centuries, these words they recognize as coming from a prophet. They bring life as people start to come alive, sensing and attesting to something is different in the most positive terms. There's this, you can, you can just feel this sense of anticipation, this buzz of excitement. Is this the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? And something started coming alive and they marveled at his words. But, but then someone said, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he just the neighbor's boy that's reading the scripture? And the faith in the room just was squashed. It went away. 
This could have been the most explosive inaugural moment of Jesus' ministry right then and there. But because of the lack of honor, Jesus in that visit didn't do any miracles. In fact, the crowd got angry with him and threatened to throw him off a cliff and kill him. The power of honor and dishonor. So Jesus left and began traveling, doing all kinds of miracles, turning water into wine and raising people from the dead, healing blind eyes and deaf ears and multiplying loaves and fishes and feeding thousands. And, and he returns to Nazareth, his hometown. And Mark 6 tells the story of his return. And he says he came to his hometown. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? In other words, wow, this guy's amazing and his teaching is powerful. And how can he do these miracles? And then they go on again. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not, are not his sisters sitting right here with us? And they took offense at him. In other words, isn't, isn't this the guy we grew up with? And who does he think he is to think he's wiser than us and so powerful? And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Th- this word without honor means to dishonor, to treat as common or ordinary. And watch what a spirit of dishonor does to the Son of God as we continue the text that says, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Where honor is lacking, faith is lacking. Jesus could not It's not a would not. It is Jesus could not do the extent of miracles he could do in other places where people believed in him and honored him. Begs a question of us. In what ways do we become so familiar with God that we do not honor him and therefore we do not receive from him? See, the fear, the reverence, the awe, the honor of God is the beginning of wisdom. Familiarity in the text clearly also applies to those closest to us. Some of the things we honor the least are those things that are most familiar in like our family and friends or whatever. I know your flaws. I know your weaknesses. And and so I don't really value or honor this part of you. How do we prevent family and friends from going so familiar that we discount them and hold them back in life? What can we do to maintain the value of those closest to us. See, Jesus wasn't able to do miracles in his own hometown because the attitude of the recipients actually determined their ability to receive from him. Who else in our lives do we fail to receive from because our own attitudes toward them prevent us? See, the more you value something or someone, the more value you also receive from them. So, What does honor look like? 
So you may remember, here's just a little clip. You may remember seeing this. Uh, in 1939, a young stockbroker in London, he dropped everything to rescue fleeing Jewish refugees from Nazi-occupied Europe. Sir Nicholas Winston arranged for passage for more than 600 Jewish children from four countries and brought them to England where he worked to place them in homes to take care of them. It took eight trains, careful planning, and absolute secrecy. And he kept it so secret that even his wife knew nothing about it until 50 years later when she was rummaging through the attic and found a scrapbook that contained the photos and names of the children who were rescued all those years ago. His wife, Greta, took the story to a Holocaust researcher, Elizabeth Maxwell, who then did her best to locate people and sent out letters to the children who are now adults. 200 of them responded out of the 669 people on the list. And here's a clip when Winston was on the British TV show in 1988 called That's Life. Winston was a member of the audience initially. He was totally unaware what's going to happen that night. I want you to watch what honoring him does for Winston and for those who gave him the honor and what it does for you. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. Hello. <laughs> And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? That's clearly a really big moment that I think touches us all. But can you remember a time in your life when you were down on yourself, down on life, and somebody honored you and the life that releases in you, that that gives you when that happens? And it's not only gives you, it gives it to you, but as we look at stuff like that, it gives, it, it gives life to everyone around who gets to see and even experience that concept. So what does honoring look like in our daily lives? Proverbs teaches us that honoring is about prioritizing. Proverbs 3.9 in the message version says, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. You honor by how you prioritize. Whatever is first is honored by your life. In fact, you're doing it right now. 
by giving the first of your week to come to church, you're saying, God, I'm placing you as a priority. I worship you today. I honor you. I've added, you are adding weight to God's presence in your life. You are saying you are the most valuable part of my life by giving your first and your best to him. Give God the first of everything, the first of your day, the first of your finances, the first and your best. Give him the first of your time. Even if you're pressed for time, Wake up in the morning honoring God with, a, with just a simple good morning or a, or a simple God, help me to honor you with everything I do today. The principle of prioritizing says whatever is first is honored. So the question is, what's first in your life right now? Is whatever it is what you want to be honored in your life? Prioritizing also looks like paying attention. So, so dads, parents, what do you pay most attention to? Do you pay most attention to sports or fishing or football or work? Or, or do you pay most attention to your kid's dream of what they want to be when they grow up? Uh, there are business leaders that I've known of who purposely try to stay distant and know the bare minimum about the people in an organization so it makes it easier for them to move them around like chess pieces or to let them go. This is not the heart of honor. Honor means paying attention. It means knowing people. One of the most important ways we demonstrate honor is by becoming students of people. We get to know as parents or, as, or even leading adults. We show the Father's heart to people when we pay attention and we take the time to discover who they are, what makes them tick, what their goals and dreams and strengths and motivations and needs are. Honor also affirms. See, honor has language. We praise people with our words. We lift them up even when they're not there by our words. It's so easy sometimes, especially when we're dealing with difficult people, to just see them coming in the office or something. We go, hey, good morning, great to see you. And when they walk off, we go, good Lord, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with them anymore today, right? James, Jesus' half-brother, says it this way. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. The Apostle Paul says it this way, let no corrupting talk come out of, our, out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, getting very at this doctrine of glorification. You are sealed for the day of redemption to be perfect. That's how God sees you. So we grieve the Holy Spirit when we speak anything other than how God sees somebody. You know, honor has language. We can sing praise to God, and the next minute we can use our words to devalue someone. And God takes it personal. It's like if somebody talks about your kid, you're probably going to get hurt feelings. You're going to be a little angry, right? Each person is God's kid. It's not okay to devalue them. It's hard for me a lot of times, especially, and I know this is a maybe overused illustration, driving the car on the road, and especially when somebody gives me the, uh, you know, the, the greeting, the, the, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. And my response is, jerk. I don't want to honk. I don't want to get angry with them. And then too often the Holy Spirit lets me know this is the same person I've been praying for, that they would experience God's love, 
and become part of our community, become part of our church. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I cannot afford to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. I so desperately need him in my life. We all do. See, our words either honor or they dishonor. There's no middle ground. So think about our words. Have our words been words of honor or dishonor? What, what would our lives look like if we spoke praise instead of curses no matter what we feel the person may deserve? What if we spoke to people with a level of honor that matched God's value of them? John Maxwell, the number one New York Times best-selling author, leadership coach, and speaker, sold 24 million books. Some people refer to him as the number one leadership authority in America today. He wrote the book, The 360-Degree Leader. And Maxwell teaches us how to honor through just a very simple practice. And this practice is to see everyone as a 10. Maxwell says he places a 10 over everybody's head when he meets them. The result is he treats people like they are a 10, and the impact is greater. People who know him see that when he's in the room, when he talks to you, you feel important. I've experienced this, been in a training with him for a couple days, and I've watched him do this with people up close and personal. He's amazing in the way he treats people. What's the secret? Maxwell says, regardless of what kind of person they are, I put a 10 on their head. No matter what, I see them not as what they are, but what they should be. Some days you have to dig deep to find it, but there's gold in every person. Try this for the next week with the coworker or you're having difficulty with or the child who keeps pushing your boundaries all the time or your spouse or friend who's disappointing you. Watch and see how your attitude as you try this towards them is impacted, how they may start rising to the level of your value for them. Uh, When you see the best in someone, they will want to rise to your expectations not out of obligation, but out of a motivation of, they believe in me. They think so much better of me. You know, when people don't believe in themselves, the unique strengths they've been given, let them borrow your belief in them. This leads me to a question, something that I often do and I often see others regularly do, and I just ask God to keep helping me to not do this. Why is it that we so often think it necessary to compliment someone and then also, you know, point out a weakness and grumble a little bit about a weakness? Like we say things like, he's a really good communicator, but he couldn't administrate anything out the front door, right? The truth is, we all have weakness. That's no surprise, right? Focus on honoring the strengths, I'm I'm not talking about minimizing moral weakness and sin needs to be addressed in appropriate ways and appropriate times, but, but focus on the strengths, knowing we're all in process. None of us are perfect. Although we touched on this a couple weeks ago, it's really interesting to me to, to see Jesus' ministry began when the Father declared of him, over, over him, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. That simple statement is so loaded The Father clarifying Jesus' identity, vouching for His character, promising to back Him and support Him, and expressing delight in who Jesus is. And that expression of honor was not only for Jesus, but for those around Him. It invited them to see and receive Jesus as He truly was. 
You see, in a culture of honor, we put a priority on seeing and calling out the golden people for the same reason. We celebrate people, building them up to let them and let others know how God sees them. Finally, honor also protects. Jesus once said, those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him or honor another person speaks truth, not lies. See, anything of value, you protect. Through our words, our actions, our feelings, we watch out for those things and those people that we value. We take it personally. There's a fantastic illustration of this in Noah's life. Noah gets through the flood, and he has a celebration after the back on land, and he messed up, and he got drunk, and he passed out naked. It's in the Bible. One of the sons saw this, and they mocked mocked his dad to his brothers. Noah was a good man who was just doing a bad thing in the moment. The other sons showed honor. They covered up Noah with a cloth. They didn't cover up the sin, but they covered up the weakness, essentially saying, we're not going to avoid dealing with this issue, but we're going to protect you as we walk through this with you. How can we protect people in our lives just like Noah's two sons? You see, a culture of honor stands beside a person in their weakness and lifts them out of that weakness. But a culture of dishonor exposes that person's struggle. Bethel Church in Redding, California spent decades, this is one of the highlights, this culture of honor in their church. I think it's behind so much of their success. It's the core of who they are. They believe that honoring has been the key to how very strong personalities can still love working together after 30 years. The fruit that's emerged from this culture of honor is that they stay committed to the community of people to honor one another. And as a result, people dream more. They think more outside the box. People love more deeply because they know they're loved in return. People experience freedom and they're free to be themselves themselves, bringing everything they have to the table. People experience forgiveness knowing they're forgiven and they're consistently willing to pursue forgiveness and reestablish relationship with others even when life and circumstances cause hurt and division. If we're not experiencing this fruit in our lives, we need to ask ourselves whether we are truly honoring those around us. What kind of culture are we developing around us, whether it's our church or family or our business? Worship team, go ahead and come on up. As we conclude, honor releases life. We are in a culture where there's an absence of honor. Honor is where you recognize who a person is and you don't stumble over who they're not, and you don't cause them to stumble over who they're not. You see, when we honor, it it changes not only who we honor, but it changes us. Something happens when we call out the gold in other people. The more we value something, the more value we receive from it. The more I value my church, my job, God, my family, others around me, the more I can receive from them. So who do you need to value more? to see more potential in. I want to challenge you to the honor test. The next time you see someone that you don't feel is deserving of honor, I want you to honor them anyway. Maybe call a family member, a teacher, or a boss, or, or use this honor principle. It can be challenging, but see how much better your life is when you do this. I don't know about you, but I know that I need to regularly repent for not giving honor to people, for not seeing people as God sees them and responding to people in the way God does. 
So would you join me as we close in prayer around that theme? Lord, I and we repent for not seeing others the way you see them. Lord, we want to see people as you see them. We want to see the dignity of every single person. Lord, we thank you that this is what you do for us and and that you see what we did last night, last week, last year, and, and you still love us. You still see potential in us. You still invite us and believe in us. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you are the one who encourages each person here and you believe the best and see the best in each one of us. If you'll just remain with your eyes closed so you can focus and undistracted on what God's Spirit may be interacting with you on right now, uh, I want to do something different a little bit today in the way we close. If you find yourself far from God, if you've lived dishonoring God, and, and you know it, you know it, you're not in the right place with God, here's what I want you to know. He's pursuing you. He's coming to you. He is inviting you back with open arms. He loves you and believes in what you can become even if you don't. But you do need to take a step toward him. And you can take a step by doing three simple things today. You can tell him you're sorry. You can ask forgiveness. You can give him your life and say, I want to follow you. And you could acknowledge that decision tangibly. And one easy way you can acknowledge that in a tangible way is to simply just slip your hand up. Now, don't do that right now. Let me explain it first here. Letting, letting God know by slipping your hand up and letting me know that you're making this decision. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand for me or some other organizational agenda of counting so we can count something and feel good about it and have some... We don't count. We don't track hands. In fact, I usually don't do this because this was over-abused years ago in the church and I, I, I didn't like this. But you know what? I'm honestly asking you to raise your hand because private decisions are often weak, uncertain decisions that fail us. If you want to follow Jesus today, then I want you to raise your hand before God and me right now to make it a strong, decisive decision. So if that's you and you've never chosen to follow Jesus and you want to make that decision right now, then I'm just asking you to slip your hand up while everybody else's eyes are closed. And in a moment, we're going to pray. And for the rest of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you, you're not in the right place, or maybe you know that you've allowed yourself to become a culture of dishonor in the way you've treated people and the way you view how you talk about people, and you want to respond to that, it's also important for you to not respond with a passive decision. It's important for you to say, I want to be included in this and do something active beyond just your own thoughts so that you can remember that tangible feeling of that moment you said, I'm going to change this. I'm going to submit this to God. So if there's an area that you say, I need to be included in this prayer, please raise your hand in a decisive way and let's just pray together. God, you can put your hands down if you want. God, you tell us that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, we do something tangible to say, yes, this is me, I'm responding, Lord, that that's what you want us to do.
So if, if that's you, would you just pray this under your breath with me? Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for forgiving me. Lord, come and be or resume that place of leadership in my life. Lord, I just want to follow you and all the good you've designed for me, and I want to follow you in the good that you've designed for me to give to others by learning to love like you love and honor like you honor and to see the delight of your spirit empowering my life because I'm in line with you. And my faith is in line with you. And my honor is in line with you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.